With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation podcast. A podcast responsible for more American fatalities than the coronavirus, but less than vending machines tipping over on their user. I am Jared Stormer of mazeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate. Andy, you redheaded version of a young Burt Reynolds. How the hell you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, man. It's like the second time I've talked to you. It's like our entire recording got lost and here we are again, but... I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> a little peek behind the veil, but hey, man, we're back and it feels good. Michigan basketball is rolling again with the return of their best player. Spring football is right around the corner. The combine's underway. Everything's looking good. Yeah. I mean, it's downtime in the sense that, you know, it's pre-March madness, not quite the draft. Spring ball still a ways away, but... For us, I mean, we're always digging, mining for content, and there is content. I mean, especially with Michigan basketball, like you said, and uh, thirteen and four with Isaiah Livers in the lineup, and five and five when he is not. And as of right now, he is in the lineup, and Michigan's thriving. I mean, you get five straight wins. You dominate Purdue pretty much at Mackey Arena for your first win there since two thousand fourteen, and uh, you're looking like you could be a Sweet Sixteen team. I mean, things are really, really trending up for Michigan basketball. It feels really nice to see because during that rough stretch when he was out. We just kept saying, wait till he comes back, wait till Livers comes back, wait till he gets back. And now that he's back, we've been vindicated with our support because not only does he just open up the form schematically with what sets you can run, his positional versatility, the way he can switch on defense, but he feels like the engine that's driving this team. It used to be Xavier Simpson. He still has a big factor in that. Or What's his other name? Uh, Jeff Jackson. Jeff Jackson. Jeff Jackson, the straw that stirs the drink, if you will. He was that leader, but... This team really responded to Livers' comeback, and I think that's going to drive them and power them into the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, I agree. While Jeff Jackson, a resurgent Jeff Jackson, is uh, definitely a huge part of what drives this team, David DeJulius' emergence doesn't make him quite as important. When Livers goes out, I mean, it, it just changes what everyone else is asked to do. And Franz Wagner has been one of the biggest beneficiaries of him returning, um, getting open looks and really starting to find his shot uh, on defense. He's probably already better than his brother was as like a junior. I mean, he's really, really impressive, leads the team in steals and uh, I mean, has not missed a beat really out there on de- on the defensive end. So 
Livers coming back makes this a totally different team, and I would argue a top five team in the country with Livers healthy. Yeah, they're a dangerous team, and this year in college basketball, they can beat anybody, as they proved in Atlantis. So right now, at this time of the year, this is the perfect time to be getting all the pieces back together, to get everybody trending in the right direction health-wise. And yeah, you man, you said it. Livers makes them top five contenders. But as far as the NCAA tournament's concerned, is where they're heading, as long as they make the Sweet 16, this year has been an unbelievable success. Anything after that is just, just unneeded fruit, but I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. We kind of both had similar predictions or at least uh, expectations set coming into this season. And we thought, make the tournament. And this is a successful season. Like, if you maybe get, you know, advance around in the tournament, it's an exceptional season. Now the bar's been raised already, especially with Atlantis. Now you're thinking you can maybe make a run at this thing, especially with it being so wide open this year. It's a very wide open season, man. Anything can happen this time of the year. So. I can't wait. Like this is the kind of comeback that leads Michigan to run through the Big Ten tournament, really build that momentum going into the NCAA tournament. But now it's just about seeding. You don't want to get the seven, eight, or even the six seed. You want to be really aiming for the four, five. You feel a lot safer. If Michigan's in a seven, the seven, ten matchup, I just don't feel good. Yeah, that 7-10 to 10 purgatory is not where you want to end up in this thing. Now, granted, like we said, it could be a wild year. Nobody's really separated themselves. Um, but, yeah, you'd, you'd feel a lot better. I mean, a four seed seems like the ceiling, but if you can pull that out, you still got the Big Ten tournament. Um, we've had a lot of success there in the past, especially, especially the recent past. So uh, anything can happen. I mean, I predict maybe like a five, six seed, though, and and, and you can work with that. Yeah, definitely work with that. Avoid some of the trickier opponents, the ones that win smaller conferences that are veteran-laden that chuck a bunch of threes and some archaic scheme with backdoor cuts and everything else like they're playing from, uh, is it Hickory, Indiana? But (laughs) avoiding that, which I think they will because I think they're one of the hottest teams in the country right now. They should get in that secure seating where they have a little bit more padding. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, hard not to touch on it. And I don't want to beat a dead horse, especially a, a beloved dead horse. I mean, he's like the secretariat of dead horses. Uh, and that's John Beeline getting canned at Cleveland. I know the the Brewcast guys kind of talked on that ad nauseum, so we won't get too much into it. But just kind of a sad ending for a coach that is still beloved in Michigan in my eyes or in my mind and probably deserve better from just a bunch of just a bunch of lame basketball players, a really lame team. Yeah, so much has changed in a calendar year, man. This time last year, getting ready. This is Belon time. This is his time of the year. He's doing all this, and then he leaves Michigan, takes the Cleveland job. Now he's out as head coach in Cleveland. I don't know why he took that one for the NBA. You take an organization run by Dan Gilbert, Kobe Altman's not a good GM. The team is full of a bunch of weird people. It's Tristan Thompson. Kevin Love acting like a petulant child on the court when he was upset he wasn't getting the ball or some players weren't swinging it. It's a weird situation to be in. I mean, you've been in the college game so long. You think, you know, I might leave for the Lakers or the Celtics. God, even the Raptors. But, like, who leaves for the Cavaliers, honestly? That's honestly, who throws a shoe? Yeah. (laughs) I I don't get it either. And he could have waited. I mean, he had proven himself at Michigan. If you thought that was your best coaching opportunity, you need a lot to go right. And the first thing you need to go right is patience. Um, I mean, you got to really have an organization that's buying into what you're selling because they were about three, four years away from being having enough talent to be compete anyways i mean that roster is atrocious tristan thompson's one of my least favorite players of all time i'd probably rather have like three thousand cats in a human suit than tristan thompson but i don't know it was an interesting choice and definitely didn't work out if he wants some type of administrative position at michigan though i'd say you offer it to him absolutely come on back i mean bo Schembechler, after he was done coaching football moved up in the athletic department Made a switch at head coach right before Michigan the NCAA tournament, and Michigan won the national championship. I believe that was 1989, if I'm remembering correctly. So I know, right? So come on back. Come on back. Yeah. I'm going to welcome you with open arms. Just please, the love of God, don't go to any of our rivals. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you're not coming back as coach because uh, I prefer this whole, you know, elite recruits coming in in the first year of the Juwan Howard thing that we got going on. So You know, I'm a fan of elite recruiting too. 
<laughs> yeah, but by golly, we have that in common, my friend. <laughs> but uh, all right, man, let's let's do a hard pivot here to our bread and butter. Uh, we got to talk some football here. Spring game was announced April 18th. I doubt we're going to get the traditional draft them up game at this point. Just doesn't seem to be in the cards anymore. We will still do our spring draft. Mind you, that will absolutely happen. But we want to talk some spring positional battles tonight. Uh, There's going to be some big ones this spring, especially on the offensive side of the ball where we lose a little bit more, but some sneaky ones on defense as well. You want to start us off, my friend? Yeah, let's go ahead and get started here with kind of a fun position on the offense. We'll save, you know, the, the juicy one for the back half. But we'll get started with the slot wide receiver, wide receiver three, if you will. We can already go ahead and sharpie in Nico Collins on one side, Ronnie Bell on the other. Two leaders in the clubhouse last season from a production standpoint are back. Donovan Peoples-Jones is off to the NFL. Tariq Black is at Connecticut. I don't know where he's at. He's gone. Um, So looking like competition here starts with Mikey Sainer still. Played a lot last season. Contributed, scored some touchdowns. Giles Jackson, perhaps perhaps the highest riser towards the end of last season, scoring some touchdowns, big ones against Ohio State. As a 17-year-old, Cornelius Johnson saw some garbage time relief, touchdown against Sparty, and freshman phenom A.J. Henning, who ESPN has tabbed as the breakout freshman for this team. This is an interesting one, and as you said, maybe not the sexiest. That goes to the most important competition of the Jim Harbaugh era in the quarterback position, but this is maybe the the next sexiest here. And I'm leaning towards – I mean, Giles Jackson obviously jumps off the page here as like the biggest weapon, but he lined up a lot in the backfield last year. If you go back and watch it, I mean, he was doing like some weird H-back rolls. They had him in the pistol formation running like wheel routes and the Texas routes and some crossing routes and stuff. So they moved him around a lot, but I don't know how often he was in the slot. Now you'll probably see him there, but will he be your primary slot receiver? I don't know. Uh, Samer still did a lot with limited opportunities last year, uh, especially since he was a converted cornerback and a three-star recruit that nobody saw coming. So, I mean, imagine him with an offseason to actually play the position he was recruited at. Cornelius Johnson seems like he's waiting a year till Collins is gone, and he might be your wide receiver number one. Uh, Henning's going to see the field. Um, I, that's going to happen. He's your wild card. I, I, I don't know. I see this maybe saner still because of Jackson's pers- uh, positional versatility. What are you thinking? I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. Basically, Saner still is the typical right in wide receiver number three, and there are three receiver sets and 11 personnel. Giles Jackson's going to be everywhere. He's going to be the H-back. He's going to be what Curtis Samuel was to Ohio State in 2016. I hate to make that comparison, but that's what he is. He's just going to be all over the field. But wild card for me, one to put in here is Chris Evans coming back. The backfield's a little crowded now, just at running back. And he's such a weapon and can do so much out of the backfield. You have to get the ball in his hands in space, just like Giles Jackson. So watch for he and Jackson to split that H-back role and be lined up all over the field next year. God, what an embarrassment of riches. If you're Josh Gaddis this year, you've got to just be like rubbing your fingers together like a villain, like twirling your mustache, because that is just a lot of sauce with Evans coming back. But that could, that's a very good point. That could absolutely impact how Giles Jackson is used. But, oh my God, we're definitely going to see both of them in the backfield at some point, aren't we? And you can switch in and out between having uh, Haskins and Charbonnet and Jackson and Evans in your back. I mean, that is just wild to me. Yeah, just so many different looks that you can do with things. All, all the play action, deception things you can run out of those formations. Maybe we've seen Hassan Haskins run the Wildcat, line him up back there with Giles Jackson and Chris Evans. God knows what's going to happen. My goodness, you're getting me excited. And I mean, it is it is February 25th. There is no need for me to be this this antsy. But yeah, there is so many options there. But all right, so we'll go with Sainra still here with an asterisk that it's going to, there's going to be a lot of movement. Yeah, now let's go to the position or just the whole position group that could really predicate any and all success this team has long-term, and that's the offensive line. Yeah, uh, you want to start tackles and move inward or? Inward yeah, outward? let's go. Let's go outside in. 
All right, we'll go outside in uh, where we have options and options that are emerging and emerging even more so. I mean, next year you get that Giovanni El Hadi kid in, and this is the best tackle room I've ever seen at Michigan. It's already really nice because you saw a lot from Jalen Mayfield last year. You got to like what you see there. Um, about six five, six not, not the biggest guy. He's about six five, um, but held it down well at tackle. Ryan Hayes came in late in the year, the converted tight end, recruited as a tackle though six seven. Love what you see there, and you even saw Stuber, uh, Andrew Stuber, play tackle before he went out. So you've got some known commodities there at tackle. Uh, you've got four star Trente Jones waiting in the wings. You got guys like Carson Barnhart. So there's some names there. But how do you see this one? This is the deepest offensive line Michigan's had that I can remember. It'd have to go back to maybe 2011, that range, to look for something to even compare it to. But just a plethora of talent. A second year in the Josh Gaddis offense, which is critical because you saw the line struggle early on in the year. Also some injuries. Ryan Hayes was starting at left tackle while Runyon was a little banged up. Uh, Jalen Mayfield got forced in there when Stuber went out late in fall camp. So they finally started the mesh and really came together with the dominance against Notre Dame and so on and so forth. But for this season, I see it playing with Jalen Mayfield still at right tackle. Seems to be his side. He's really comfortable there with the hand down, the way he has to be positioned with their gaps and their splits. On the left side, I feel like Ryan Hayes is coming right back in. John Jansen on his podcast a few weeks ago spoke to how Ryan Hayes is the biggest student of the game inside that offensive line room, constantly studying, constantly learning. The converted tight end, as you mentioned, so he's got quick feet, and he is enormous now. 6'7", over 300 pounds. And obviously this leaves odd man out Andrew Stuber, but all indicators are pointing that he is going to actually kick inside. So give me the beef, baby. Yeah, that is a lot of freaking beef, and I see it the exact same way. Um, you were higher on Hayes, so I'm going to give you all the props that you are due here. Uh, you called that last year that this was the guy to watch out for, but I was, I'm was i looking at 247 Sports, and I could have swore that he was recruited as a tight end and then switched to tackle. This is showing him recruited as a tackle, but either way you slice it, 6'7", over 300 pounds. Sounds like he's a student of the game, and... I mean, I'm, I thought it was Mayfield had the highest ceiling, but maybe it's Ryan Hayes, but you love having Mayfield on that right side. Showed he could hold it down on the left if need be. About 6'5", once again, right around 300 pounds. Mayfield is solid there at right tackle. Probably your best offensive lineman as far as known commodity. Absolutely. With- I mean, we just know the most about him. And as far as Ryan Hayes, he was converted as a tackle, but in high school, get this, he played tight end, defensive end, and punted. <laughs> I'm here for it. You know how Harbaugh loves versatility and just all-around athletes. So uh, Ryan Hayes, all right, well, the ceiling just got raised. Uh, we're, we're raising it here if it hasn't already been. The ceiling just got hazed. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> My God, how did I not pick up on that? Thanks. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, and, and that's a great transition. Let's move into the, the guards there where you just mentioned Andrew Stuber, uh, who was recruited as an offensive tackle, came in at 6'6", 285. He's over 300 now, and that is a lot of beef. And if he's quick enough, and I mean, he's versatile enough to move in there at guard, I could maybe see him going in at maybe left guard there uh, the to take over for the departed Ben Bredesen. I feel like he's going right. I feel like he's going to go back on that side he was, where he was playing tackle, so he's a little more familiar with hand placement and things of that nature. I think our boy that was on milk cartons is back from the dead. Chuck Filiaga is on the left. Okay, I think that you're right. I mean, the other guys battling it out are a lot of younger guys, um, highly recruited guys, a lot of these guys. Zach Carpenter, Zach Zinter, very highly recruited Zach Zinter, uh, Trevor Keegan, and Carson Barnhart. I know they're high on Barnhart. I'm high on Zinter. I think Carpenter's got a lot of upside, but I see it the exact same way as you. I think it's Uber and Filiaga at your guard spots in some in some order. And I'm liking what you're saying, the hand placement. He was already there on the right. Yeah, so it's a lot less for him to pick up like on the nuances of everything. And with offensive line, so much relies on chemistry. And just being on that side of the line limits some of the things he's just going to have to pick up and understand. He has the experience. It'll be good to have him back up there. He's going to spend all spring just getting healthy. 
Like, I don't care if he takes one snap in the spring. Just keep rehabbing, get the conditioning right, get your body ready, and he'll be a factor in August. Don't worry about that. There is the uh, the chance that you get a little bit of Mason Cole in Carson Barnhart, who, I mean, I, I'm kind of seeing a little bit of that the more I look at this kid. Um, seems very well-rounded at about 6'4", came in at 282. I don't have his current weight, but you can bet it's around 300 after being in the program for a year. So that's another guy uh, just to keep out for a Mason Cole-like ascension. I mean, if there's a guy that's too good to keep off the field, they'll put him on there. But I see it the same way as you. What are, you, what are you thinking about center? Center's an interesting one. Absolutely no known commodities there. Vastardis transfers, so you think that he's going to be the guy, the guy to come in. Uh, man, I mean, we, it's it's very difficult to say. Uh, you had mentioned Joel Honingford as a guy that you were pretty high on at one point. Um, I was looking at Zach Carpenter, Nolan Rumler. I mean, if you're thinking of a freshman, or there's Reese Atterbury, who will be a true freshman. So those are, those are kind of your options. <sighs> I mean, throw a dartboard. I mean, throw a dart at the dartboard, honestly. It's it's a three-man race, in my eyes, between Joel Honingford. I guess his last name is so hard to say. Honingford. Don't roll off the tongue like Ruiz. No, yeah, I know. We were spoiled for the last couple seasons. Uh, Nolan Rumler is one to keep an eye on, and Zach Carpenter for me. And I think starting this fall is going to be Joel Honigford. I think he's going to pull ahead. The experience is the big factor. He's been on campus since 2017. He's a senior, been playing all kinds of offense, very familiar with Ed Werner, familiar with the guys. So I think it's going to be him to start, but it wouldn't surprise me if he's not the one to finish. I kind of see it the same way. I mean, if a guy like Barnhart or Reese Atterbury is actually recruited as a center, I think he's the only guy that we have on the roster that they recruited specifically to play center, but he's going to be a true freshman this year. Nolan Rumler will be a red shirt freshman this year. So a little bit more likely he's a guy that they definitely recruited to play interior line around that six, four range. This is going to come down to IQ. How well do you know the playbook? What's your communication like with whoever ends up under center, which we'll get to after the break. So it's going to come down to, to intelligence. You need somebody that knows the mental aspect of this. All these guys can physically handle the job. So I think that maybe you're right that that uh, age gives Honingford the the edge there. If not, I'll go with Carpenter, who I think is the second oldest of the above mentioned. Michigan's offensive line next season, if it goes Hayes, Filiaga, Honingford, Stuber, Mayfield, this is the these are the heights. I'll just go through the heights first. Six seven, six, 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 seven, six, five. That's stupid. <laughs> Wait. From left to right again, 300, 341, 287, 334, 319. You're not going to be able to throw over that wall of humanity. No, it's a good thing that Dylan McCaffrey and Joe Milton are both huge because if we had a Giles Jackson-sized quarterback, they're just going to throw the ball in their backs every play. It's going to be the most useless offense of all time. Yeah, that is a beefy, beefy offensive line. My goodness. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out because I've never seen an offensive line with that height. Yeah, that's a bigger starting five than the Houston Rockets are playing right now. Like That is just absurd. (laughs) On the average height, it is. Yeah, I think you're right. God, that is – yeah, and Filiaga at 6'6", 341. Let's go, Chuck. I had no idea. You should be named Chuck at that height and weight. Yeah, very well deserved. So as far as like name correlation to body type, Chuck Filiaga, first place. High on the list. Uh, before we go to break and we'll get to uh, the most important position on the offense when we come back, kicker. Is that a, is that a competition? <laughs> it is. And it's a competition <laughs> I begrudgingly talk about because we <laughs> – we just dumped all over Quinn Nordine for months, years at this point. <laughs> and then he comes on at the end of last season like a man possessed, hitting 55 yarders against Alabama. And we're just like, I, I, I have no words. We once said he could kick the ball to Canada but couldn't pick the province. So <laughs> We're going to have to eat a crow the size of like an adolescent hippopotamus on this one. And, and that's all right. But yeah, dude came on absolutely drilling him late in the year. But we have been, how do you say, um, harsh with uh, <laughs> Nordine. 
up to this point. So, uh, yeah, I think he's front runner in the clubhouse. I mean, Jake Moody, if you're not going to be accurate, you don't stand a chance. Because, I mean, Quinn Nordine can come in there and piddle it away to the right 35 yards, you know. But you know, if you're doing that, you don't offer any of the upside. No, and honestly, last year, just Quinn Nordine even getting close on field goals was an added bonus because for the longest time, every time he trotted out on the field, like, all right, where's this one going to go? Row 34, we're putting this one in Lake Michigan. <laughs> yeah, I had a betting pool going with my friends with just, you know, you pin a tail on where you think it's going to end up in the stadium. And I won some wild bets, man. <laughs> I would pick the counties surrounding Ann Arbor. I was like, All right, where, where are we going today, son? <laughs> Looks like there's a uh, there's an old dockyard down down yonder, about 13 miles. <laughs> was, it, was it Penn State or Wisconsin where he just had that little piss rod that just <laughs> it like hit the pile on? <laughs> I think it was Penn State, but I could be wrong because there was a couple of them. Piss rod. They're well described. <laughs> That's what it was. It was like a weak, sh- just flaccid stream. I was like, God, I hate this. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, it had been a while since we ripped on Quinn Nordine, so I'm glad we got that. <laughs> Even in compliments, we find ways to compliment him. He's really coming on. Remember that piss streamer he hit? <laughs> yeah, All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll get to quarterback. We'll move over to the defense. Not quite as many positional uh, battles going on in the defense, but definitely some important ones, especially in the secondary. We'll be back with that and more right after this. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in life, whether they be big, small, or anywhere in between. And when we keep those bottled up, it can start to affect us in a negative way. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist. And if for some reason that therapist isn't working out for you, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get life's challenges off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Block M to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Block M. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. We are moving through our spring positional battle breakdown, talking about some of the competitions that we're going to see come spring ball, how we see them and who we expect to come out as winners. We are talking offense. We save the best for last on offense. I said earlier, I think it's the most important positional battle in Jim Harbaugh's tenure, and that is at the quarterback position. It's probably a two-man race. We can talk Cade McNamara if you want, but let's talk quarterback Joe Milton versus Run DMC. This is – it could get tricky. I'd like to see how far Milton's come so far in the spring. It seems to me like Dylan McCaffrey right now is your 1A choice. He has more valuable – more meaningful snaps in games, a little more experience. Has a problem staying on the field, though, which is very important. Joe Milton is the talent, the project, the prodigy, whatever you want to market him. He is a physical specimen, a freak, a cannon of an arm, every attribute you want. Trying to see if he can maintain the accuracy and really understand the scheme. Like the, you saw Shea Patterson when he was at his high. So this is a fun battle, man. I, have, I think McCaffrey's the front runner, but not by much. I would have to say that he enters as the front runner, but you heard some of those rumblings last year about how, I don't know if any of this is true, that some players felt that the Shea Patterson starting role wasn't earned and that it should have been Milton or McCaffrey last year. Uh, I'm not sure if that's accurate, but one thing I am sure of is that if they just give it to McCaffrey because he has more experience and Milton is the the better looking prospect, it's going to be a damn revolt on this team. Um, 
if it's Milton, you go with Milton. You don't. It doesn't matter what his last name is or how long he's been there. If Milton gives you the best chance to win, that is totally fine. And the kid is an absolute prodigy. Like we haven't had a prospect like that since Devin Gardner, who was completely wasted. So I do not want to see Joe Milton wasted. I really do not. Like the talent is just, it's oozing out of his seams. Like every muscle fiber is just bursting with talent. So I, I mean, we haven't seen much from either. Uh, if you want to say who has the best throw on tape, it's Dylan McCaffrey. He, he has the best throw on tape. Um, we did have the one Milton touchdown last year, but you just got a, a few more tape, uh, a few more throws on tape you can see with Dylan McCaffrey. The biggest McCaffrey point for me is against Notre Dame two years ago when Shea Patterson got hurt. He came in cold and just maintained the offense. Like, didn't self-destruct, didn't just completely fall out of favor, didn't lose his mind, was calm, collected within the offense, and played admirably. It was, wasn't like anything crazy, but that was a high-pressure moment on the road, unexpected, and he came in and played well. And that is his point that Milton doesn't have right now, and that's why entering spring ball, and this battle will last long into the fall, um, that's why he's ahead right now. I agree, and uh, that was the tape that I watched before we did this to you know, to get my bearings and think about it. And he had some great throws there, uh, showed a lot of comfort rolling out of the pocket, took a three-step drop, saw that there was nothing there, takes off down the middle. Honestly showed probably more poise in that Notre Dame game uh, in a loss than he did in, you know, some mop-up duty where he was kind of trying to make something out of nothing, um, but also not very accurate. If you go back and watch that Notre Dame tape, you'll see the ball coming out of his hands just a little awkwardly. But it's not a perfect throw. Uh, you see the arm talent, though. Um, you see the arm talent. He can absolutely huck it. Nobody has the arm talent of Joe Milton. But I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you for the exact same reason, too, that he showed that when the big lights shine brightest on the road down with your team down, the moment wasn't too big for him. So I think he does pull this out. But, man, is it going to be close. And uh, – and Joe Milton's going to see the field. What makes this matchup interesting? As you know, I'm a big professional wrestling fan. This is a loser leaves town match. That's what this is between Milton and McCaffrey. Like it may not be immediate, but whoever loses his quarterback battle will not be on the team in 2021. Yeah, especially if McCaffrey loses it. Yeah, he's gone 100%. I mean, he's going to go to some Pac-12 school and do whatever. And if Milton, something happens to him, same thing. He's going to be gone and wants to go get his time. He's not going to stick around here for one year. No, no. And I wouldn't blame him either. I mean, there can only be one quarterback on the field. At the same time, they're both quarterbacks. True, They're both true quarterbacks. They're not going to convert to wide receiver like Devin Gardner. It's not going to happen. So, yeah, I see I see McCaffrey winning this by the skin of his teeth. But, I mean, like you said, he has trouble staying on the field. So Milton's got to be ready. And uh, if he is, I could see a, a situation where Milton comes in and absolutely crushes it and doesn't even relinquish the job. So it, it's a good problem to have inexperience but talent at the wazoo. Yeah, you, you put it best. This is the most important positional battle and quarterback battle of Jim Harbaugh's tenure and could dictate his future and a lot of people's future within this program. So this is something you can't miss in the spring and it's something nobody can miss in the fall. So come fall, we're just going to be scrounging for any little detail that we can. Uh, I'm going to be just combing through every interview, everything to, to try and figure this out. And, uh, you know, we might not know until game one uh, at Washington, September 5th. I'll be there. <laughs> it, we probably won't because I remember the big Wilton Spate battle in 2016. That season, he came out, and that's how we knew he was the starting quarterback. Came out there against Hawaii, and first pass was an interception. Then he started the ball, but that's how we found out. Uh, first possession last year was a fumble. Oh, yeah. that For some reason, I take the interception over that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe so, although it's the exact same thing. But All right, man, let's move over to the defense. Uh, quarterback, I mean, we could be beating a dead horse there. But on defense, uh, some positional battles, not nearly as many as on the offense, especially because the offensive line. Uh, I would say the most important ones probably being in the secondary, taking over for the departed Levert Hill and Khalid Hudson. Where do you want to start first, though? Let's start in the secondary. Let's go ahead and start with that corner and third corner position because in this battle, you could assume Vincent Gray steps into the starting corner role of the departing Levert Hill playing opposite Ambry Thomas, or maybe he stays there and somebody else takes over. So the people to know here are Vincent Gray, Sammy Faustin, 
freshman phenom Andre Selden, Jermon Green, Darian Green Warren, and DJ Turner. Uh, So I I think you called it right. I think Vincent Gray will step in and performed admirably last year. I mean, to me, reminded me of a a better tackling Benjamin, or excuse me, Channing Stribling. So I I like what I see with Vincent Gray. He has a very high ceiling. Um, He's already pretty sticky in coverage. Got picked on early in the year, but improved. So I like what we have there. The rest are just names. Now, Andre Selden, I mean, this kid is a stud. And he'll be playing sooner rather than later. And nickel would make a lot of sense for him. Not the biggest kid. I mean, I think he's like 5'9", five, 5'10", five, max. and uh, But fast, quick twitch athlete and absolutely sticking in coverage. I would not be at all surprised if he wins this as a freshman. Um, but Jamon Green to me is probably next up. Um, you know, you hear his names, you see the depth chart. Um, he's a guy that the coaches have mentioned as, as coming on. I haven't heard as much about DJ Turner and Sammy Foxton, even though I love the name Sammy Foxton sounds like a lounge singer from new Orleans, but I haven't heard much about him. So I think it's probably Jamon green, but watch out for Andre Selden to get playing time. And, and maybe as soon as like by, by week three or four, he's too good to keep off the field. Andre Selden's like two inches shorter, but man, there's just some Leon Hall in that kid. Just the speed and the dog in him. All those seven-on-seven seven videos, all those camp videos of him just talking and backing it up and being physical at that age against those talented receivers. God, I love him so much. Um, for me, I'm with you, though. I think uh, Jermon Green is going to be one of the people that are in contention to really start. So is Sammy Faustin. You've heard a lot about both. Those two probably your front runners to play nickel with Andre Selden coming in to stir things up. Yeah. Darian Green Warren's an interesting one because highly recru- recruited. Uh, he was a later commit in the cycle, but a four star out of California and uh, has more than that in common with David Long, kind of a similar player in that they're not elite speed, uh, but pretty technically sound for where they're at already, both around the six foot range. So I could see him work. I mean, and David Long was playing pretty early in his career. So he's another guy I could see playing. Um, And, you know, we're losing Ambry Thomas after this year. So they've got to get somebody else ready for next year, Vincent Gray, and, you know, he'll stick around um, for 2021, but they need to be thinking beyond Ambry Thomas as well. So they probably won't have any problem burning red shirts here at cornerback. I could see Selden and Green Warren burning red shirts, uh, especially if they don't think they got something out with Faustin and DJ Turner. For some reason, Ambry Thomas being gone makes me feel really old. <laughs> yeah, right? I remember he seems like he's like 14, but he's been there for a while now. Yeah, so I, I think we're in agreement, though, of it's going to be Ambry Thomas, Vincent Gray, and then the mix of more than likely Sammy Faustin and Jermon Green for starting Nick all day one. Start, yeah, I'll say that, but I'm putting it out there right now that Selden plays by the end of the year. Is Andre Selden on campus for the for spring? Uh, was he an early enroll? We had quite a few early enrollees. Uh, I've got it right here. Hold, please. Andre Selden. Yes, he's enrolled. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So he's definitely one to watch in the spring because just all this advanced time in the system is just going to pay dividends. He's five, eight. Oh man. Yeah. That is not big, but he's got the dog in him, which you have to have at five, eight. <laughs> he's got to have it by <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, let's let's move on. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> let's not. Let's move on to Viper position. Uh, very important position in Don Brown's defense. Uh, our leading tackler was the Viper Khalid Hudson last year. It's a position that's you know often put in the position to get, get after the quarterback and be around the football. So whoever takes this is going to see a lot of action. Michael Barrett, probably your leader in the clubhouse. Some other names to know. Anthony Solomon could move over from uh, Will Linebacker. Jordan Morant, incoming safety, who I'm extremely high on. And R.J. Moten, another incoming safety. So uh, whoever you go with here, inexperience at the Viper position. Yeah, a lot of inexperience. Fortunately, though, they've been in the same defensive scheme, so they've had some time to learn and study. So understanding of what's going on. To me, I feel like Michael Barrett, is the front runner here. Been a lot of talk when he switched over to defense when he came in. Originally didn't know where he was going to play. I mean, played some quarterback in high school. In high school, he had 45 touchdowns, threw for almost 5,000 yards, and rushed for almost 3,000 yards in his career with 38 rushing touchdowns. Like, (laughs) the 
kid was an absolute phenom at that level. So they didn't know really where they're going to stick him. Put on some weight. He's up to about 230 now. So I feel like he's the one to pencil in right now. But pencil, don't put it in Sharpie yet. Yeah, he's in pencil. Michael Barrett just sounds like an Ohio State player. I don't know why. I hate that. Every yeah, I hate it. Every time I hear it, I just think Ohio State. Um, but that I'm not going to hold that against him. He definitely does seem to be the guy that they're banking on right now and has been a contributor on special teams. That's usually a good indicator. Khalid Hudson got in when Jabril Peppers was still the Viper and made some plays. Michael Barrett did that last year. So that, to me, says he's probably the guy. I would go ahead and pencil him in. My wild card here, though, I've kind of been talking this up, Jordan Moran, uh, recruited as a safety, but he's listed at 5'11", 212. And that should remind you of six foot two twenty Khalid Hudson, and he's six foot two twenty as a senior. Jordan Morant's coming in as a true freshman at 5'11", 2'12", and can move and has more coverage skills than Khalid Hudson. Now I don't know if he's an absolute dog of a of a warrior that can just crush you like Khalid Hudson has or can and has no fear of tackling. But Jordan Morant is a guy that I'm extremely high on. I don't know where they want to use him. But just with his physical tools, his speed, his instincts, the fact that he's always around the ball, I could see him emerging at Viper. Yes, super highly touted recruit. The whole safety class coming in is very shifty. He's one that I think was going to bulk up and move over that position, whether it's this year or next. Is he on campus yet? Jordan Morant is not. Signed lender of intent, so not on campus yet. Okay, okay, so he'll be one to more watch in the fall, but he's definitely a name with all this time to put on some size. He's not just sitting around eating cafeteria lunch, I can promise you that. But even if he is, good on him. But (laughs) he's going to come into campus huge, probably upwards of 220 pounds as a freshman. May not get on there now, but he's going to mix it up in August. I I think so as well. If you want to look for guys that are on campus right now, uh, Nikkei Hill-Green, outside linebacker recruit, 6'1", 230. William Mohan, recruited as an athlete, 6'1", 200. They could kind of be in that range. Uh, Makari Page, the other safety, um, another four-star, but he's 6'3", 182. That uh, that seems like a safety to me. That doesn't seem like a Viper. That's safety or a big corner. Big ass corner, yeah. So uh, I think it's one of the two names that we just mentioned. And if I were a betting man, I'd say Barrett. Yeah, I think so as well, man. The speed, athleticism there. He could be just the prototypical size for it because he kind of has that Kalik Hudson closer to his size, but with maybe the pepper speed and versatility there. So we'll see. It'll be something interesting to watch. Uh, Do you want to move on to the defensive line? Yeah, we can maybe say safety because technically Josh Metellus is leaving and there is going to be a competition there, but Dax Hill will win that competition. It's Dax Hill versus Dax Hill. Yeah, yeah, there's no – I mean, we got some dogs coming in at safety, but Dax Hill himself is the alpha dog, so nobody's doing that. No, No, he and Brad Hawkins have the back end locked down. I feel really good about that. Yep, fine with that. Maybe the best safety. Safety's in the best position for the next four years that it's been at Michigan for decades. Yeah, safety is the offensive line of the defense in terms of depth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's go to a place that uh, is the opposite of that, and that's defensive tackle where uh, the emergence of Chris Hinton helps, but there is definitely an open D tackle spot there next to Carlo Kemp. How do you see this one playing out? It's tough, man. I feel like Chris Hinton is the leader in the clubhouse, having played uh, the most last season. Played in some, came in some besides his, you know, hairline falling back. Played a lot of good minutes against Alabama and other opponents late in the year. But he's got to be the front runner. But you can't count on people such as Mozzie Smith, Philip Paya, who's been there, you know, since the Reagan administration, Ben Mason, who's actually a starter at the beginning of the year. As weird as that seems. I wouldn't count that guy out of anything. He's just a pure animal. He might be 320 pounds and just solid muscle at this point because it's Ben Mason. He had a free period. And just Spate, uh, Wilton Spate's younger brother, has been getting a lot of talk, was really good on the scout team last season, really making a name for himself, physical, big. So maybe we get the accountant's brother lined up. But right now for me, man, it's Chris Hinton. 
Yeah, it's definitely Chris Hinton here. I think it's going to be Kemp and, and Chris Hinton, and you hope it's Kemp and Chris Hinton. The only other guy that you might be pulling for here is Macy Smith, just because he's a little bit bigger of a body, more of a run stuffer there at defensive tackle. And we showed against Alabama and Ohio State, we need a dominant defensive tackle who can clog some lanes, something like a Vita Vea or like one of those big, big run-clogging defensive tackles. Kind of like how uh, – what was his name? Um Will, oh my gosh, I mentioned him the other day, Will Campbell, you know, who was incredibly inconsistent for Michigan, but when he was on, was an absolute run stuffer and uh, a giant, giant body. So we need that to step up. And Chris Hinton showed you a little bit last year, but did he really flash to you? I mean, I got to go back and, you know, we'll grind, grind some tape as, you know, we always do this spring and and summer, but. I don't know. Chris Hinton's got a couple steps to take to really be a a quality Big Ten defensive tackle. He does, and I think this could be the year he does so. He came in, played well. He was a freshman, so we give him time. Very highly touted. But like you said, we need six foot thick in there. We need the Willie Henry beef, but you can move a little bit more. Need somebody to really clog it up because Carlo Kemp already being undersized is a very small anchor inside this system. So it's just somebody in there that can take up a couple gaps, move some people around, really, really stop the run, just not get shoved around at the point of contact will be critical. This team had speed last year, but we need just a little bit more power. Do you think we need more of a Maurice Hurst penetrating defensive tackle or more of that Willie Henry clog the lane defensive tackle right now? That's a good question. I feel like, Get we get enough pass rush outside. I mean, Bo Hurst was good at everything. Like he's an outlier because he was good at literally, literally everything. You take Mo Hurst if we're just talking the player. I'm talking the type of player. I honestly think they need more of a Willie Henry at this point. They need somebody to really stop the run. We have pass rushers for days and they can move around. Aiden Hutchinson's as versatile as they come. Then you got the McGregor kid coming in. The lane is still out there. Quiddy pays back. So we got that for days. They can move them around and mix and match to get that interior pressure. We really need somebody to stop the run. Getting a big body in there, the the prototype Vince Wilfork nose tackle, maybe a little smaller than that, but that kind of guy, the Willie Henrys, we really need somebody to stop the run inside. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I mean, Chris Hinton was a five-star, 6'4", 280 last year. If he comes in around 305 this year, 6'4", 305 in the middle – with his athleticism, I mean, that's kind of what we thought Rashawn Gary was going to be, except we put him on the outside. So Chris Hinton, don't get me wrong, I'm very high on. Uh, whereas Maisie Smith was 6'3", like 300 pounds already last year. So he is a little bit more of that that run stuffer. So, I mean, we want to see both these guys. Maisie Smith is going to play a lot just because we don't have a ton of depth there. So we'll see both of them. I, I think we got it, though. I think it's hidden one. And then coming after him would be uh, would be Maisie Smith. Here's kind of a uh, a little bit of a curveball here, though, because he didn't really play one position. Who takes over that situational third down rush that Josh Uche played last year? It feels it feels like it's Valaine or Welsh. I don't know what they're going to do with Josh Ross yet. It feels like yeah. he's going to play next to him. That's kind of an interesting spot because the defense was super small last year. Basically had four safeties on the field at all times. But so I don't know what they're going to do. I feel like it's going to be the Josh Ross, Welshaw, the lane, somebody in that mix, depending on how big they want to go there, what they want to do with the versatility. There is no exact Uche replica, but if you're going to pick from that group, I, it would be Josh Ross for me, just the similar size. Ooh, there are, I think there is on the roster, except he's even bigger. David Ojabo. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. David Ojabo's got a chance. I mean, he, it's been discussed how athletic he is, and similar to Uche when he came on, like you heard those early rumblings, like man, when this kid gets it figured out, that's what you heard about Ojabo last year. Is like, man, wait till he gets it figured out. I'm thinking that we're going to see Ojabo rush the passer, rush the passer this year pretty often. And I mean, at six five two forty, came in as a freshman about six five two fifty five last year. I mean. That, that's a big, big dude that's fast and, and pretty mean. Yeah. And if he figured out, ooh, watch out. He was the team's defensive scout team player of the year last season. So just balling out in practice. Do you know where his hometown is? Uh, New Jersey somewhere, isn't it? Aberdeen, Scotland. Scotland? Yeah. 
oh wow, I thought we recruited him out of Jersey, but he came from Scotland originally. Yeah, okay, yeah, but on his bio, his hometown is Aberdeen, Scotland. Well, that makes me like him even more. Yeah, Scottish Ojabo from New Jersey. Let's go. <laughs> Scottish Ojabo sounds like a World War One division. <laughs> it is. It's going to be our rushing division on third down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you think there is maybe a competition at tight end? as Nick Eubanks is more of a pass-catching tight end and Eric All has the chance to be more well-rounded, or even Luke Schoonmaker? I st- a little bit, but I still think Eubanks is the guy. I think it's a pretty clear 1A. Uh, second position, I'm not sold on anybody yet. I think it's a lot of moving pieces there, especially between Schoonmaker and Eric All. But Eubanks is, uh, Eubanks is coming on as a blocker. He's getting better. And if he can take that step in the spring, then I think it's locked up. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. Eric All just had some mental mistakes last year that Eubanks doesn't have. He may not be the best blocker yet. He could be by now, but he doesn't make those big mental errors that All does sometimes. No, no, he doesn't. Uh, who has the higher ceiling of those two? Eric All. Eric All does. The way he got on the field, what he was doing in blocking at a fullback position, getting moved in there, it's got to be All. He Everything else he can figure out, and those mental mistakes will wean out by the time he's a senior. I love it. One last pseudo positional battle, and this is in no way a positional battle. If both Don Brown and Chris Partridge finish with a top five defense, would you prefer Chris Partridge on Michigan staff next year? That's a good question. Does Michigan beat Ohio State in this scenario? No. Nope. Give me Chris Partridge then. <laughs> then I've seen it too many times. I know the ending is going to be elite defense, but not elite when it matters. That's what I was trying to specify is if you get Don Brown, same thing that we've seen every year, elite until the last. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You can't, there's certain schemes he just struggles against and can't stop and we've had a good run. Like he's been a great coordinator and we'll see how it plays out this season. See what he does with, you know, giving up some of his control has some good minds in the room they've picked up in replacements. So I'm excited to see where this year shakes out for him. See if he can kind of bounce back to what he has been and just really lock down the end of the year defense. I don't know if we'll ever see 2016 replicated again, but man, that unit was special. That unit was special. But honestly, if we don't beat Ohio State this year, I'm going to be on the camp that says clean house. So Yep, we'll be we'll be there too. We'll we'll light our torches together, my friend. Yeah, all right. We'll we'll use the same Molotov cocktail. <laughs> we'll still be arguing about Nico Collins in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll never forget that, even though I kind of already have because of the amount of alcohol consumed, but that's neither here nor there. I will still have waffles at halftime, don't you worry. <laughs> All right, man, that's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, Make sure that you follow Maze and Brew on Twitter at Maze and Brew. Follow Andy and I on Twitter, even though we are not much of Twitterites these days, at Andy underscore Bailey one at JStorm303. Tweet us uh, what we were wrong about, what we were right about, all that and the in-between. Make sure you like, share, subscribe, leave a review for all your shows and content where you get your podcasts by searching Maze and Brew Podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.